Bad Street, Atlanta, GA. Bad Street in the whole USA. Bad Street, nasty and hot. The further down the block you went, the better it got. Bad Street, Atlanta, GA. A bad Street in the whole USA. A bad Street, nasty and hot. Okay, anybody? <laughs> anybody? Anybody out there? Uh, this is Dr. Zum. And, um,. I just thought since um, there were a few movies that I did not get around to uh, on the last podcast um, that I would go ahead and go back and uh, cover those and a few of the ones that I have watched since. And this, I was, I'm wanting to say this is going to be a little mini bonus episode but then again, sometimes I think that I don't have enough to talk about and still go fucking to the wire on two hours. But anyway, um, I was just watching um, the movie Tenant. Um, I got HBO Max uh, the other day just for the reason of watching The Suicide Squad. Um, and I'll be talking about that here in a little bit. So, um, but since I'm at least going to have it for one month for $14.99, um, there's some other stuff on there that I have not seen that I wanted to get caught up on. And one of them was tenant. Um, I haven't, I mean, I just started watching it. So that'll, that'll have to be for the next show or maybe do a little episode for that alone. I'm not sure. Um, but, uh, Let's see, what else was I watching? Goo. Watching a little bit of wrestling stuff. I was watching some of the, um, you know, the older characters talking about, uh, you know, just things. Uh, There's several of them, with like John Nord, who was Nord the Barbarian, or the Berserker in the WWF. And um, I'm trying to think of some of the other good ones. But anyway... Um, and some football, boxing, uh, things like that. Um, I did have a conversation with uh, our man down under, Roger Ward, uh, today about... Um, oh, God damn it. Where the hell is it at? Steve Rackman uh, or um, Donk. Steve Donk Rackman, which was pretty cool because... Um, I remember, you know, um, seeing this big guy a long time ago in Crocodile Dundee, but I didn't know who he was or, you know, anything about him. And um, one of, I think it was Don Morocco or the Magnificent Morocco uh, was, uh, he does like a podcast with a guy who I think is from England, I believe. And uh, the guy brought up, uh, um, well, Morocco had said something about that he had wrestled in Australia. And the guy, the young guy that does the interview, asked him if he knew um, uh, Steve Donk Rackman. And um, so then Morocco, who started in like the maybe late 60s, really early 70s, I believe, uh, that's, I remember seeing him when he was like a, a, almost like a rookie with this long curly hair, always, always really tan and everything because he was, he is actually from Hawaii. 
and he was a good guy back then when he first started. And um, he was talking about wrestling in Australia, and the guy mentioned uh, Steve Rackman, or Donk, and uh, saying something about him being in Crocodile Dundee and being the 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 uh, you know big hulking guy that was in Australia that uh, Mick Dundee was friends with, uh, that hung out at the bar and all this and that. And I haven't seen that movie in forever, but I you know specifically remember you know this great big huge guy with a kind of a bent kind of smash nose, looked like a boxer or something like that. So anyway, I um, because Roger Ward uh, is from Australia and was a professional wrestler at one time, and also you know everybody on that listens to our podcast knows him from as Fifi from the Mad Max movies and um, um, Turkey Shoot and you know other movies like that. Um, Man from Hong Kong. I'm trying to think what else, but anyway. Um, he was telling me some stories about uh, I, apparently him um, and Steve Rackman or Donk were actually really good friends um, through the years. And um, he said he, he didn't really, I think he knew him or met him or knew him through the professional wrestling thing, but he really got to know him and became really close friends with him through like movies and things like that. So it was pretty cool, you know, he was telling some stories about, you know, some funny things that they did and and about, uh, you know, Steve Rackman and um, being, uh, you know, just kind of a fun, loving guy that liked to have a good time, liked to, liked to drink and, you know, carouse with women and things like that. But um, it was pretty interesting. And then, you know, just me being a big wrestling fan, it was cool to hear some stories about you know, that whole thing over there at the time and that donk uh, actually, and I found some pictures of him uh, and that's what Morocco said, uh, that he became like a manager a la like, you know, Freddie Blassie or um, whoever, you, you know, maybe like Jim Cornette or somebody like that that younger people might know. Um, but a, a manager for guys like Bugsy McGraw and um, some of the heel uh, wrestlers in Australia. So I did find a picture of him surrounded by like Killer Carl Krupp, Bugsy McGraw, and I think maybe like the spoiler, Don Jardine, uh, were three of his guys that he managed. <coughs> but again, that's just somebody that, uh, you know, was in movies that I had seen, didn't even know his name, and now it kind of makes me, you know, Crocodile Dundee was such a huge movie when we were younger and um, I really like that one. I, I, I do tend or recall, you know, seeing like the sequels and of course, you know, not them not being as good. And, you know, Paul Hogan, I, I, I remember that he ended up marrying his um, co-star in that. Was it Linda Kozlowski or something? And she was really hot in um, the Crocodile Dundee movie. Um, and, um, but then, you know, I don't remember him really. I mean, he was a huge star at that time. And I know he was a huge star in Australia. He did a lot of commercials, a lot of TV and movies and stuff like that over there. But um, after the Crocodile Dundee thing, which led actually led to in wrestling in the WWF, they, they brought a guy in called Outback Jack, who was from Australia, a professional wrestler from Australia, 
and he was like a big baby face, kind of did a Crocodile Dundee gimmick and everything. And then um, I did see an interview with him and about how like the um, um, British Bulldogs and some of these other wrestlers like ribbed him all the time and they uh, H-bombed him, which means they put Halsey on in his, in his beer or in his drink. And then when he passed out, they shaved like shaved his head. They super glued his Crocodile Dundee hat to the, to his head and did all kinds of shit to him, which was kind of shitty, you know. Um, and um, he ended up leaving WWF. He was like, you know, I don't need this shit, and left. In the interview, he was wearing, um, like, dark sunglasses uh, the entire time during the interview. And one, th- and it, I wondered something, you know, when I was watching it, and then it, he confirmed it. I guess he is, this is Outback Jack, the wrestler, he is legally blind now. I think he, you know, can see a little bit, but, you know, legally blind. Uh, but that was a really good interview and him talking about that kind of stuff. But that was something that was inspired by the movie Outback Jack. And I think the guy that did the interview with Don Morocco actually asked if when they um, were creating that character in the WWF of Outback Jack, if they had Steve Donk uh, Rackman in mind to to I was going to say play that part and and in essence that's you know what it is in pro wrestling he would be playing a character hang on one second we'll pause for a second okay just wanted to get a little air going in here it's um weird weather where we're at it's super duper foggy out right now and uh I don't think it's that warm out but um it's just kind of stuffy in the house um so I'm just noticing when I was sitting here, I was like, God, it just feels like it's kind of warm. I don't want to turn the fan on and, uh, you know, make noise that way while I'm recording this precious podcast. Um, but let's move on to, um, you know, uh, the movies. Like I said, if this might even only be like an hour long. I'm not sure. It depends on how long I get into talking about a couple of these. Um, I was inspired by Rolf to watch... Um, 2014's Skin Trade, uh, which was directed by Ikachi Ukrong Tham. And it was written, the screenplay was written by Dolph Lundgren, Steve Elder, and Gabriel Dalrick. And it stars Dolph Lundgren and Tony Jaw and Ron Perlman. Now, I thought, and I still, I think I've seen this before, I didn't remember that much about it if I had. And uh, also Michael Jai White is in this and Peter Weller. Um, Let me see if there's anybody else here that we would know. But this was a pretty good movie. I really did enjoy it. Um, Nice cast. You know, like I said, Dolph Lundgren, Tony Jaw, Ron Perlman, uh, Michael Jai White, Peter Weller. And um, basically what it is is... um, Dolph Lundgren is involved. He's a policeman, and he is involved in um, um, stopping uh, the the trafficking of women from like uh, Asian countries, like you know whether it be like uh, China or Hong Kong, or you know in um, over in that area. And um, after, basically, there's like, I think, like a Serbian um, group 
that is supposed to be even, you know, they always have to build him up as being even nastier than, you know, the Russian mob and uh, even nastier than, you know, all, whoever, you know, they're supposed to be really ruthless and everything. Well, they are led by um, Ron Perlman and his sons. And I think there's like three or four sons. Uh, one of them is like the uh, Ron Perlman's illegitimate son. He has each one of his sons run a certain part of the business in a certain area. And um, the one son is kind of like the black sheep of the family. But even though he has a different mother than the other sons, um, Perlman still gives him a job and everything. But the other sons look down on him. And he's kind of, like I said, like the black sheep. He's, he's, he's kind of like what Fredo was in The Godfather. Uh, he likes to party and do drugs and things like that, where the other guys are definitely more professional and, uh, you know, more uh, about, you know, their father's business and doing a good job and all this and that. If you can say a good job in, like, uh, human trafficking. But Dolph um, goes and they have a, uh, a big bust, and he is involved in, you know, taking down this this a certain amount of this um, quote unquote skin trade, and actually busting Ron Perlman, the dad, the ruthless godfather of human trafficking, and takes him into custody. Well, so then all the other sons and everything are like, okay, you know, you motherfucker, we're gonna we're gonna hold up our dads. Uh, reputation and everything, and they go after uh, to get revenge against Dolph. And uh, at the same time, Tony Jaw is a is a policeman in Southeast Asia, and his I think it was his girlfriend who she's she's an undercover cop that works with him. She goes in. Uh, she there they do the. Um, um, investigating the um, human trafficking thing, too. She goes undercover as, like, a stripper and a prostitute in all these places. and But her and Tony Jaw have a, you know, really close relationship. He really loves her and everything. And, uh, you know, they get along well because they, they are in the same, you know, both policemen and everything. And because she is involved in the human trafficking thing and catching these scumbags, too... Um, she gets um, abducted. And so then some shit goes down, and Dolph ends up going to um, going overseas to fight the skin trade. And he's on a collision course burp, with Tony Jaa. Well, this is pretty good. Like I said, it's got really good action in it. And, and uh, of course, you know, Tony Jaw is really good at, at uh, martial arts. And so is Michael Jai White. You get to see them do some karate. And um, Dolph can do that stuff. But, again, he's the big hulking American. And uh, um, this was in 2014. And even by then, he's, like, really slow. And, and uh, they kind of have to... Uh, you know, when they shoot his fight scenes, they kind of have to uh, cut it up and everything. And like I said, him running and stuff. And they even like have little funny things. Uh, he's chasing uh, some scumbag 
uh, and it's a typical foot chase in like the big city where the guy's running into buildings and running up to the roof and jumping from one roof to the other. Dolph's chasing him, and Dolph actually stop. They the guy runs into like a bar or a restaurant or a bar. I can't remember. And uh, runs in the front door and then runs through the kitchen and everything and runs out the back. Dolph comes running in. And like I said, he's kind of slow and everything. He actually just stops and there's somebody sitting there eating or having a drink. And Dolph just picks up like their their drink and takes it, takes a, like a beer or something, takes a big drink of it and then just sits it back down and goes, ah, and then takes off after the guy again. So, but it was pretty good. It has a lot of action in it, not just karate, but a lot of shooting and chase scenes and things like that. And some intrigue. Uh, with um, you know the police and the CIA and and uh, the um, like I said the human trafficking thing was pretty interesting. I thought it was a good movie. It rates only like a five six out of ten on IMDb, but I thought it was better than that. I mean, uh, uh, and Tony Jaw is really good. I like him and Michael Jai White both. And uh, again, Peter Weller was good in this too. Now Ron Perlman, he was good, but he, you know, he he does the you know the the uh, like Serbian Eastern European accent, which wasn't bad. I mean, let's move on. I wanted to get to these before I fucking actually forgot everything about them. That's why I'm doing this one. Um, I watched a movie called Dark Tourist or The Grief Tourist uh, from 2012. Um, and I found this on Prime. Um, and the only, well, it has this guy, um, where's he at? Yeah. Michael Cudlitz. And he played the guy Bull on Band of Brothers. A uh, big kind of hulking guy. If it was Sergeant Rock, uh, the comic book Sergeant Rock from DC Comics, he would have been Bulldozer. Uh, big blonde, uh, bigger than the other guys, kind of guy that could brawl, but also really strong and everything. It also stars Melanie Griffith. Um, and this was actually, I think, uh, Melanie Griffith after she started letting her face um, go back to normal um, because she really got uh, obsessed, I think, with the plastic surgery. I read some stuff about it. And she even said herself that some, you know, some people were like, oh, my God, you know, uh, that actually knew her, that cared about her. I don't know if it was like her family or what were like, you know, what what have you done to yourself? Because she just got into too much, uh, almost like uh, Rob going to probably like a doctor like Rob Lowe's character in uh, um, Behind the Candelabra (laughs) But, you know, getting the lips, lips all puffed up and fucking like her, uh, you know, Botox, uh, facelift and, and uh, implants in her cheeks and all this stuff. I mean, she's not a young chick anymore anyway, but it would be it's definitely better to go, you know, gracefully. Let me look up something. Yeah. I want to see how old she was. That's, what, that's basically because she started dating Don Johnson. I mean, it was like a child molesting thing because I think she was only like 14 years old and he was like, uh, what, 21 or something. Um, she is now 64 years old. But she did actually come out and, you know, own it and, and in articles and stuff talking about her getting too much plastic surgery and kind of screwing her face up and everything. And that she did want to, you know, stop doing that shit and just let herself go gracefully and get some of that shit that was in her 
pumped up her lips and and the stuff that was in her face and everything let either have it removed or let it dissolve or whatever and just forget about that stuff but anyway this movie um the dark tourist the let's see it was uh written by frank john hughes and directed by suri krishnama but i had never heard of it and it's it's rated R and for definitely for good reasons. But the whole concept of it is the guy that I was talking about, this Michael Cudlitz, he is a like a security guard at like a power plant. And he's one of these guys that, you know, stands out at the little uh, guard shack. And when you drive up, you show him your badge or whatever. And, you know, he says, OK, go ahead and go in or whatever. So he kind of has one of those jobs, kind of a mundane job. And I think he had been maybe a cop before, but because of, you know, shit that happened or physical injury or he got older or whatever, now he's doing the security job. And, uh, but when he's also like a loner, he doesn't really have any friends. He's kind of an abrasive guy and um, a, a little bit of a weirdo because when, say he gets a, a week of vacation every year, or maybe two weeks of vacation every year, when he gets vacation time, he actually, what he does, he's, he's kind of a true crime or serial killer uh, fanatic or whatever, reading about all these serial killers and things like that. And so when he has a vacation time, instead of going to the beach or instead of going up into the mountains or, you know, going, you know, to Mexico or, you know, Europe or something like that, or just traveling the United States, he is so uh, into reading about like serial killers that he goes to um, on, on well, it's called dark tourist. He goes on like a tourist thing of serial killers. So if it's a place where like John Wayne Gacy, he would go to where John Wayne Gacy lived and, um, you know, if he's reading a book about John Wayne Gacy, he'll go to the town that he lived in, go to the house where they found all the bodies. He'll go around and maybe talk to people that uh, lived in the area that knew about it or had heard about things and things like that. And he goes to a town, and I think the um, the character, the guy that, uh, let's see, is played by uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince. Uh, the character's name is Carl Mar Marnsnap, and I think it's based on that um, serial killer, is it Carl Panzeram? Uh, they made a movie about that guy with James Woods as the character, and the guy was famous for, you know, he was a serial killer, but he, he was, like, unrepentant, and he went into prison and he was one of these guys that didn't like anybody. He didn't get along with anybody. He hated life. He hated the world. He hated everything. And this prison guard uh, just started talking to him. And he'd be like, you know, not overly nice to him, but just show, like, say, maybe give him a piece of gum or something like that. And because the guy was in prison, I think they were going to put him to death. Uh, he was on death row, but definitely in for life. He had no hope of getting out. And um, so the... Um, the the uh, I was gonna say security guard, but not the security guard. In the in real life with Panzeram, the prison guard uh, brought him like a a piece of paper or a notebook and a pencil, and he said, you know, why don't you you know just 
you're sitting here telling me about how you hate people and you hated your father and your mother and you hate all these people and everything, you know, why don't you, you know, you're going to either die in prison or they're going to put you to death anyway. So why don't you write down, you know, your story in a, you know, in this notebook or whatever, uh, keep a, like a journal or whatever and write down how you feel and, you know, why you think you are the way you are. Maybe you can, maybe it'll help somebody. I know you don't give a shit about helping anybody, but you know, maybe it'll, uh, give you something to do. It'll amuse you or whatever. So the real life guy actually wrote down all the stuff that he had done. And I think he, I can't remember how many thousands of men he said that he raped. Um, that was like a big thing of his was he said he didn't do it for sexual reasons. He just did it uh, just to be an asshole. <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. He was just like, you know, I didn't do it cause I'm a homosexual. I, re- I, I, you know, he would get these guys and, you know, beat the shit out of them or not clunk them over the head or hold a gun or a knife to them or something and like sodomize them just to do it, just to be a dick. And he had killed uh, you know a bunch of women and stuff too. There it's one of those ones that, um, like Henry Lee Lucas and things like that, where there was maybe like six, five or six people that they could actually say, yes, he did kill these people. But there were from the ones that he, the people that he said he killed or raped and molested and things like that. It was in like the thou- hundreds and thousands and and uh, uh, and he didn't give a shit. He said, "I don't care. I did it. I'm glad I did it. And fuck you, you know." So anyway, the character in this movie, Dark Tourist, um, Carl Marsnap, is based on uh, Panzeram. And, of course, that whole thing took place in like the, uh, maybe like the 1920s or 30s. And this movie takes place in modern times. The character um, that uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince plays is like a figment, uh, sort of a figment of the um, security guard Jim's imagination. He's his constant companion through the movie and actually talks to him and tells him what to do uh, or, you know, what he thinks he should do or kind of um, uh, tries to push and prod him into doing things. Um whispering in his ear and everything. But of course it's just a delusion or, uh, you know, you don't know if, uh, this gym is actually like uh, schizophrenic or if it's, um, him just imagining, uh, what this guy would be like and what this guy would say about certain things and everything, but it's a pretty good movie. It, it um, cause it's just a different kind of a movie and a different take on things. Um, The guy Jim is an interesting character because um, who would, I mean, I don't know if I should say who would want to, you know, he has like a mundane life. I guess he's happy with it as happy as he can be because he's kind of just a miserable person um, who blames everybody else, like people that come in through the uh, gates that he lets in and stuff. He, you know, kind of looks down on them because he thinks they look down on him. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he'll say, uh, you know, uh, may I see your ID, please, and everything. And then when they pull away, he'll be like, yeah, whatever. You're driving that nice car. Go fuck yourself. You think you're better than me and everything. 
And so you, as the movie goes along and he's going on his trip, you start finding out more and more about him and uh, through the people he meets, plus just him going to these different old famous crime scenes and his dealings with uh, this um, uh, Carl Marsnap. Um, it's, it's weird. It's hard to say if it's like part of his personality or what. And then there's a person named uh, Iris in this. Uh, who Jim comes across, who is a prostitute. Uh, and then and another thing is, like, when he goes on these vacations, I mean, it's not like he stays in nice place. I mean, because he doesn't have very, he doesn't have a lot of money because, you know, his job doesn't, I don't think, pay doesn't pay that well, and the place that he lives isn't that nice or whatever. But when he goes on these things to visit these serial killer places, he'll stay in the worst rat trap um little motels and stuff like that. Uh, it reminds me of watching some of the uh, videos on YouTube about um, um, like the worst places to stay in Las Vegas. And they'll show some of these motor lodges and things like that, that, that are right on the strip. And I remember when we were in Vegas, there'd be all these big skyscraper, um, fancy uh, casino hotels that are just super nice. And you had some of them that were older that, that were probably, you know, cheaper and they were a little bit more rundown and everything. But then you'd have these motor lodges that would just look like little motels that you would see somewhere right on the strip that might have like a swimming pool in the, in the little outdoor courtyard. But it looked like someplace that, you know, uh, you might pay 30 bucks a night or something like that to stay in. And apparently from watching the... Um, the uh, things about the worst places to stay in Vegas, that's basically what it's like. I mean, the places are just dumps and, um, uh, you know, prostitution and the doors look like, you know, they uh, like somebody might have tried to break into your room and they're just not really nice. But it just makes you wonder how they can um, those spaces there on the strip, um, how why they still have those shitty little places like that that are such crappy dumb and I'm not I'm not talking like down at by the stratosphere at the at the really crappy sections of the strip. I'm talking like some of them are right there, you know, in the in the nice area, right in the middle. Um there might be one or two motor lodges. And um but it's weird you would think that somebody would give them prime money for that land just to build a, a restaurant or a big casino or something right there. But it's kind of funny, but that's the kind of place where this guy stays and his room, uh, when he stays, um, when he's going around to this, uh, Carl man, man Mars naps, uh, killing places and stuff like that. The motel he stays in the room right beside of it is this prostitute, Iris, who is played by Suzanne Quast. And they have uh, interesting, some interesting interactions because from what you, I can tell, uh, Jim, in a lot of ways, he fucking just, he hates women. Uh, I guess because maybe he got divorced or he's been, you know, went out with women before and he's the kind of guy that you know, you're, you're going to take me as I am and everything. And then when he acts like such a fucking, you know, uh, just kind of a abrasive jerk or whatever, 
and the women say, you know, I'm leaving, fuck you. Well, then he gets pissed off. You're all just a bunch of whores and all this stuff. But he's still, he's kind of, he he's a weird dude. He reads the Bible and stuff all the time. But um, not only do you, well, I guess the, the Marnsnap uh, guy that's in his head, that you actually see, um, it's kind of like John Belushi in Animal House, where you have the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, and Mersnap is the devil. You know, he's like, fuck her, fuck her brains out, suck her tits, you know she wants it. And then the other, you know, the, the, the guy that he tells himself that he is, that reads the Bible and everything, is like the angel on John Belushi's sh- shoulder or whatever. It's like, uh, or no, what John Belushi, it was, um, I think it was Pinto. Because Pinto in Animal House um, met that girl at, was it at the grocery store? And asked her out. And she ends up, she's like 13 years, 12 or 13 years old. And when he finds out, you know, she she passes out on the bed and the devil's like, fuck her, fuck her brains out, suck her tits. You know she wants it. And uh, the, the angel's like, oh, she's a beautiful, this beautiful young virgin. You should leave her alone and everything. Well, that's kind of like what this movie is. Uh, with Jim, but uh, a little bit weirder and a little bit more dark and perverted, hence The Dark Tourist. So if you get a chance to check this one out, it's worth a watch, I thought. Um, And I think somebody said something, they read somewhere where it said it had like a dark sexual, okay, let's see. Rated R for strong, disturbing violence and sexual content, graphic nudity, language, and brief drug use. So if that doesn't, hey, if that doesn't hook you, I don't know what would. <laughs> um, there's some, uh, well, let's see, sex and nudity. Uh, okay, I didn't know they had this on IMDb, but it's uh, like where you have the rating, where it says rated R, I just read to you, and it says in Australia it's rated R18+, plus. in Germany it's rated 16 South Korea, 18, United Kingdom, 18, United States, rated R. But it has a thing where it, I guess people can put down, it, it gives like a, a scale for everything that it lists under the like R rating or whatever. And it says sex and nudity, severe. And then it tell I don't want to tell you, I don't want to read the things under where it says severe because it'll give shit away in the movie. Because it tells everything, when it says sex and nudity, it lists everything in the movie where there is sex and nudity and the con- context of it. So that's kind of interesting. Violence and gore, it says moderate. Uh, and it's got some stuff there. Profanity, moderate. Alcohol, drug use, moderate. Frightening and intense scenes, moderate. But <laughs> when you get to sex and nudity, severe. <laughs> so, hell, man, I'm about to watch it again. Anyway. So then I watched um, from 2000, let's see, not 2000, uh, from 1950, I watched a movie called 7-Eleven Ocean Drive, and this was directed by Joseph M. Newman and written by Richard English and Francis Swan, and it stars Edmund O'Brien, Joanna Drew, Otto Kruger, uh, let me look down here and see if there's anybody else that... uh, is a pretty big name or recognizable. I mean, there's a lot of people in here that you probably have seen or heard of in like movies, but no real big names for me, except really Edmund O'Brien. Uh, that's the main guy that I know. 
Um, and he was, wasn't he the old dude in The Wild Bunch? Um, okay, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, White Heat, Seven Days in May. Oh, he was the, um, in Seven Days in May, he was the um, journalist who was working with, I think, uh, the president actually sent him to that secret base to kind of snoop around and find out what was going on, find out what um, uh, Burt Lancaster was doing. And um, that was a good movie. Frederick March played the president in that. That was a really good movie. And that had a lot of fucking good people in it. Uh, Burt Lancaster, Kirk Douglas, Ava Gardner, Frederick March, Edmund O'Brien, Martin Balsam, uh, Andrew Dugan, who was on the Big Valley a lot and who played um, on, I think, uh, he played General, was it Ursus in the Planet of the Apes? The uh, main general, Gorilla, who was trying to start the war and everything. Richard Anderson, who was also on the Big Valley a lot, is in uh, Seven Days in May. But anyway, well, I didn't watch Seven Days in May, so why am I talking about it? <laughs> Edmund O'Brien... I'm pretty sure he was the old dude. In, yes, he was Sykes in the Wild Bunch, the old dude that uh, um, laughed at. Um, oh, what did uh, didn't um, Ben Johnson start throwing rocks at him? He had like rotten teeth and everything, and uh, Ben Johnson started throwing rocks at him and stuff. And uh, let's see, but he was in the Wild Bunch. But that was when um, uh, William Holden did the uh, you know. The, the, about sticking together, you know, and not turning on each other and shit. He was also in 99, 99 and 44th, 100% dead with Chuck Connors, which is a pretty fucking funny uh, movie, funny take on um, uh, like a James Bond type of thing. And I think Richard Harris is the, the main uh, good guy in that, the sort of the James Bond character. And he wears great big fucking eyeglasses. And, um, Chuck Connors is like a, almost like a uh, he's the villain, but he's sort of like an odd job kind of a guy who has a fake hand that he puts different extensions on, like he puts an Uzi on it and different things like that. And then he has like a briefcase with the extensions. And I think when they open the briefcase, one of them, uh, one of the extensions that he can put on the end of his handless arm is a dildo, which is pretty fucking funny. Uh, <laughs> good movie. <laughs> that one is on the the double uh, DVD with um, the oh, what was that movie called with um, the Nickel Ride? So you, Nickel Ride is not funny at all. It's not even. I mean, it's a really good movie about like the uh, the outfit uh, mafia, the outfit in uh, I think out out in the Midwest, like Chicago or someplace like that. Uh, but uh, they put it on a double bill with 99 and 44th, 100% per- percent dead. But it's still, you know, it's a, it, it was good watching both of them. But uh, Nickel Ride's a way better movie. Edmund O'Brien's been a bunch of stuff, but I don't want to go through too much of his, you know, because just tons of TV, tons of movies. Synanon, he actually played Chuck Dietrich, the uh, guy who discovered Synanon, uh, which I talked about on the show. That was the... Um, um, place out in California, I think like Venice Beach, uh, that they opened up. Um, this Dietrich opened up uh, to get people off of like heroin addiction, any kind of addiction. And he had his 
specific certain way of getting people off of drugs and everything. And then he started, I think he started getting like uh, government funding and it became like a really popular um, place to go to. And uh, they made a movie about that. That, like I said, that I talked, well, this is the movie I'm talking about here, sitting on from 1965. It used to be on YouTube and in, in, uh, it's full length with Edmund O'Brien playing the guy who started it and led it. And Chuck Connors was in that. Also, Alex Cord and, um, uh, oh, what's her name? Um, Stella Stevens. Stella Stevens is in it too. She's gorgeous, of course. But the whole thing about that, and you can find the uh, documentaries on YouTube and, and in other places about cults, the whole thing ended up becoming a cult. And it, it, it got to the point where almost like a uh, cross between Scientology and Charles Manson and uh, the Process Church and all this stuff, uh, and he had like everybody shave their heads and um, you know, everybody was having sex with everybody and, you know, you weren't allowed to have kids. So he, all the people, all the guys were supposed to get vasectomies and all this shit. And uh, it was just really ended up being, now when they made the movie Synanon in 65, it was still considered a, you know, a, a good, I think a good place and a place, uh, for people to go to get help. And then it, it, it just devolved uh, over the years with, the, with, you know, just like every other cult where people start getting too much power and becoming intoxicated with the power and that they're right about everything. And, and it led to, you know, people like beatings and people being threatened with murder and attempted murder and stuff like that. So um, let's see, what else was Edmund O'Brien? Oh, he was uh, Pardee in Rio Conchos uh, from 1964 with Richard Boone. And uh, Jim Brown, uh, that's a pretty good Western. Also, uh, oh, what's his name is in that that I, I like? Um, hang on a second. What's my mouse doing here? I'm going to click. I'm going to click Stuart Whitman, who uh, was in that movie uh, about the uh, plane crash or whatever where the baboons were tormenting these people. I don't know if it was, was it baboons? Or, yeah, I think it was baboons. Yeah, I can't remember what that was called. That was a pretty good movie. And uh, Stuart Whitman was this macho guy, you know, where everybody else, oh, the Sands of the Kalahari. I think we covered that on the show. Um, that was a pretty good movie. Uh, Anthony Franciosa, uh, Wendy Wagner, Richard Boone, of course, like I said, is really good. Um, Jim Brown. But Edmund O'Brien, uh, what that movie, Rio Conchos, was just to give a brief synopsis of that. And that was a big favorite when I was a little kid because uh, I remember watching it on TV in like the in the early seventies at like my grandparents' house or something. Uh, Richard Boone and Jim Brown and these guys get hired to uh, take these guns, uh, um, or they're take they're taking these guns to. Oh, I think it was kind of like, uh, was it not the Sackets, uh, the Shadow Riders with uh, Sam Elliott and Tom Selleck, where there is a um, Confederate, these Confederate soldiers and their families moved to Mexico after the Civil War, and they're trying to get guns and stuff to come back and take their land back and everything. And Richard Boone's character had been a... In the Confederacy, he had been in the Civil War, American Civil War and fought on the side of the South. 
and his commanding officer was Edmund O'Brien, this Pardee. And um, uh, Stuart Whitman and Jim Brown are going down there to uh, find out where these guns, uh, who's smuggling these guns, because they work for the American, the, the uh, Union, or they, well, not the Union, I mean, just the United States government. And so it's pretty good. That's a good movie, Edmund O'Brien. He's, he, you know, the main guys are um, Jim Brown and uh, Stuart Whitman and Richard Boone. Richard Boone plays a real mean fucker in that. Not as mean as he was in uh, um, Ombre or in the uh, Marlon Brando movie um, Night of the Following Day. He was a fucking bastard in both of those movies. Really good, too. Which is funny considering... Uh, you know, he was such a hero and such a good guy in Have uh, Gun Will Travel. Uh, beats the heart of a man. Uh, let's see. What else was Edmund O'Brien? And see, now I said I probably wouldn't have enough to talk about, and I'm going down this o- Edmund O'Brien fucking wormhole. Old fart. He was a good actor, though. Uh, seemed like, I wonder if he was like a, a drunk in real life because he seemed like he played a lot of like drunk doctors or drunk like in the uh, one about the um, uh, seven days in May where he was the journalist. He was an alcoholic in that and they were trying to get him drunk to discredit him. Uh, Longest day Birdman of Alcatraz. That was Bert Lancaster. Uh, Man who shot Liberty Valance. Of course, that was John Wayne and Lee Marvin and Jimmy Stewart. Oh, the Last Voyage. I don't know what that was. For for a second there, I wanted to say it was the one with Ra- Raquel Welch, but it's not. Um, where they got shrunken down and she had like a wetsuit on that was really hot. 91 minutes of the most intense suspense in motion picture history. Well, goddamn. Uh, Robert Stack, Dorothy Malone, and George Sanders. After a, a boiler explosion aboard an aging ocean liner, a man struggles to free his injured wife from the wreckage of their cabin and ensure the safe, the safety of their four children. I'm sorry, their four-year-old daughter as the ship begins to sink. As the ship begins to stink. <laughs> I don't know that one. Yeah, I, you know, it might be good. It actually said on the poster that it was. <laughs> but uh, yeah, maybe I'll catch up to it one of these days. It's not. It, that doesn't sound like one that I'm really like uh, wanting to leap on. A periscope. From 1959? Uh, oh, that's James Garner. In 1942, Navy Lieutenant Kenneth Braden from the Underwater Demolitions Team, or that's BUDT, the precursor to the Navy SEALs, is sent to Japanese Island to photograph secret radio codes. And this has James Garner, Edmund O'Brien, and Andra Martin, directed by George Douglas. I never heard of this one, I don't think. Uh, Alan Hale Jr. played the skipper on um, Gilligan's Island is in this. Frank Gifford. Frank Gifford is in this football player for the New York Giants and later broadcaster on Monday Night uh, Football. Dig it. I didn't need to burp like that. Henry Kolke. He looks like a pro wrestler. I wonder what. I mean, even the picture. He's got to be. Henry Kolke plays Chief Petty Officer York. And what's his story? Hang on a second here. Because he doesn't have a shirt on in his picture, and it looks like an old wrestling picture. Uh, Henry Kolke was born in 1911, Hastings on Hudson, New York. Uh, he was known. He was an actor known for a Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, Love Nest, 
Target Hong Kong and died in 1965. Doesn't say much about him. Oh, he wrestled professionally before entering the movies. I was going to say, you know, I don't know what his name would be though in wrestling, unless he went by Henry Kulky, but it seems like he might have had a, an alias or something. Uh, he wrestled professionally before entering the movies. Henry was a talented piano player at one of the night spots in San Clemente. Wasn't that where uh, Richard Nixon was from? Many of the visiting Marines used to recognize him. Blah, 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 blah. Broad-faced, flat-nosed character once known as Balmer Kolkovich during his previous incarnation as a pugilist and wrestler. Okay. One-time judo champion of South America. Fellow wrestler Mike Mazurki got him into the acting business uh, where he carved a niche. A niche, or a niche, niche, <laughs> niche, uh, as good-hearted but dense sergeants or small-time hoods. Okay. Yeah, I saw that picture and I thought, okay, that dude's, uh, he, he died of a heart attack at 53. Seems like an interesting bloke. Henry Kolke. I'm going to make a little book note of him. Maybe see if I can find some other wrestling stuff. Wrestling. You watch that stupid wrestling. So anyway, James Garner's usually pretty good. I mean, some of the movies he was in didn't go over that great, but uh, I would like to watch James Garner. I always liked him. Liked his... uh. Uh, biography to his book. Okay, 49 minutes. Edmund O'Brien. Maybe I should move on from Edmund O'Brien because he started, I mean, my God, way back in 1939. But the movie that I saw him in, 7-Eleven Ocean Drive, um, I just happened to find this and I'm trying to think if it was on YouTube or if it was on Prime. But um, here's the synopsis. An electronics expert creates a huge bookie broadcast system for his crime boss and takes over operations when his boss is murdered. His greed leads him on a deadly destructive path. Um, he works for like the telephone company. Because like I said, this takes place in the 1950s. But he works for the telephone company and he had been in uh, communications in like World War II. And so um, a guy that he knows uh, that he's just talking to, well, he bets a lot. He likes to, not a lot. He's not like a degenerate gambler or anything, but he's always, you know, hanging out in the bar and the guy comes around to take the money. You know, do you have any on a game or something like that? And he says, yeah, yeah, give me uh, $5 on the Giants over the, you know, Philadelphia Eagles or whatever. So he, they, um, he starts talking to this one dude that he's friends with and gets introduced to kind of a, one of the gambler guys or one of the, maybe the guy that collects the money or something like that. And he says, you know, well, they have what I think it was like kind of like the sports wire, but it went over the, um, over the uh, telephone lines or maybe the telegraph or telephone lines. And he comes up with, because he had been in communications and he's in the hardware uh, end of um, like the telephone company and things like that. And he says, well, I could set up something to where, you know, it would be easy to, and it was kind of like one of those deals, I think, where they would set up a, um, I saw this in another movie where like if the races took place on the West Coast because of the time zones and things like that, 
that they could set up something over the wire to get the results beforehand because of the time zones and place bets or something uh, so that when, uh, like maybe at the last minute or something, get the results, and then by the time the results are posted, they've already heard them, and it's some kind of a scam like that with the, with the telephone lines and everything. I, I, not exactly that, but sort of, you know, it doesn't really matter. But he comes up with this ingenious plan. So then he's the guy, he starts working for the syndicate. And um, it's more, it's, it doesn't seem like it's as much, uh, like it's mafia, but not like the Italian mafia, not like Luciano and, uh, you know, Joe Bananas and Joe Batters and, uh, you know, Lucchese and those guys. I'm sure, you know, maybe later on they had something to do with it. Or they probably had something to do with this, but it was on a different end of it. I think this maybe was, it wasn't in New York, I don't think. It was more out west. But um, anyway, he starts rising. Well, what he sees is, is that his invention is making all this money for this one guy that's at the top. And so he starts making a shit. He quits his job at the, he starts out as a flunky and he's like, oh, he's really happy because he's getting a whole bunch of money. The guy pays him. But then he's like seeing this guy is making like uh, millions and he, that guy might be giving him a hundred thousand or something over, over a year or, you know, 50,000, a hundred thousand or whatever. But the other guy that's the boss is making millions, but he's making it because of him. And so then he, you know, he's also the kind of guy that, um, as far as women goes, he likes to have a hot chick on his arm. But even if they like him, he's like, you know, uh, save it, baby. You know, uh, let's ju just enjoy the ride. You know, he, he, uh, he doesn't want to get romantically involved. I think maybe he's been burned before or something. But so then he starts kind of saying to this boss, He's like, hey, wait a minute. I want a percentage of, you're making all this money, and yeah, you pay me well, but um, I want a percentage of the gross, and I want to be like a partner or whatever. And of, of course, at first, the guy's like, you know, well, you know, fuck you, blah, 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 blah. You know, you're just a peon. You're just a little piece of shit. Who are you to come in here and, you know, ask me for anything? And he's like, hey, man, you know, I'm the one that made the thing, and I'm the only one that can do it. So eventually, um, the um, the boss guy relents to an extent. You know, he relents and tells him, "Okay, I'll give you thirty percent of the of the business." Um, but then, in that same instance, he because he becomes like a boss, then he gets all the radar of these other um, uh, bad guys, kind of. But they seem like they're they're more like a businessmen, but they still have that um, ability to get somebody to kill people and shit. But it's a pretty good movie, and um, it's not like a you know Francis, not well, yeah, Francis Ford Coppola or the you know the Godfather or anything like that. Um, it, but for it being, uh, you know, a, probably a cheapy black and white uh, movie from 1950, it's a pretty good movie. It got a good story, and uh, Edmund O'Brien's really good. And then, you know, the other guys are, are are good too. But like I said, I just didn't recognize or know that many. Otto Kruger sounds familiar. 
I'm trying to think what else he was in. Wasn't he the uh, commandant in Stalag 17? Let me look. I, they have a picture of him on here, but it's when he's really young. And uh, But that's the face that I, first thing I think of when I see the face. He was in Alfred Hitchcock's Saboteur in Gary, uh, the High Noon with Gary Cooper. Audrey Kruger. I know he wasn't Schultz, but he looks like Stalag 17, the camp commandant. Motherfucker was in a ton of shit, I'll tell you that. Another thin man. Uh, he goes back to probably the fucking um, silent movies, 1915. But um, that's not what I'm looking for, people. Bear with me, baby. Uh, the big boss, Saboteur, that's Hitchcock. Um, night Plane from Chung King. Tarzan's Desert Mystery. I can just hear Terry Frost screaming at the uh, at, at his fucking uh, iPhone or whatever. Yes, he was the guy in Stalag 17, you fucking idiot. But I don't know if he was or not. I can't find it. Climax. Sounds like a porno movie. I would think that Stalag 17 was... Let's, let me just fucking type in was Otto Kruger at Stalag 17. Uh, Otto Kruger Stalag 17. I bet you maybe he wasn't. I might be wrong. God damn it. Bitch. It's not unusual to see me cry when I want to die, motherfucker. I don't think he was. I think I am wrong. Commandant, it wasn't Clink. I want to say Clink, but that was from the TV show. Okay. Oh, no. It was Otto Preminger was the um, Oberst von Scherbach. God damn it. How the hell did I get that wrong? Fucking Otto Preminger is a fucking famous director and everything. And I knew that. Dumb son of a bitch. The blonde guy in Solog 17 always uh, amazed me because he had that fucking huge shock of um, like almost like bleach blonde hair. He plays it's Robert Shawley. He plays Sergeant Blondie Peterson. I want to see something about him because he was looked very young in that. But his goddamn hair was like unbelievably blonde. He probably wasn't in anything else. Uh, it was probably a twink and a street hustler <laughs> that, some, that Otto Preminger used to get to blow him or something. Robert Shawley was born in 1927 in Coalport, Pennsylvania. He was an actor in Stalag 17 Craft Theater Producer Showcase. He died in 1990. Uh, served in the United States Navy from 45 to 46. Rank discharged was S1. I don't know what that means. He is buried in Riverside National Cemetery. So it doesn't have very much about him at all. Um, maybe he was just a, a good face, and they said, hey, look at that hair. Fuck it. Um, he wasn't in very much. He was in for a 1949. He was on a TV show called The Hartmans, and then he was completely out of showbiz and out of the movies and TV by 1966. So probably his biggest thing there, Phil Silver's show, but his biggest thing was probably uh, Stalag 17. So anyway, I was just curious about that dude. And, of course, Neville Brand was in Stalag 17, and I know who he was. He was in some John Wayne movies and some westerns. Peter Graves, of course, was Matt Dillon's brother, and he was Jim Phelps on Mission Impossible. 
uh, Robert Strauss wasn't, I mean, he plays Sergeant Stanislaw Animal Kurzawitz or whatever. He was the dirty guy, um, Kurzawa. Uh, but he was um, Robert, I was thinking Stroud. Robert Stroud was the Birdman from Alcatraz. Um, but I wanted to look up Strauss, the uh, dirty guy that was like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, he had that voice like this. Um, what's his What's his story? Burly American character actor with a deep, gravelly voice who was equally adept at comedy and drama. He died at 61. But uh, let's see. He played Noah in 75's The Noah. <laughs> the Noah. That's like Suicide Squad. And then the new one's called The Suicide Squad. I never thought about that until I was just looking. I was like, what's that new one called? I figured it would be like, you know, Suicide Squad 2, you know, uh, whatever. But it wasn't. Frankie and Johnny, he played Blackie. Man from Uncle, Simon Baldonado. Uh, anyway, get off this shit. You're just fucking stupid. Was that uh, Panzeram talking to me? Uh, let's see, who else was in Stalag? I was thinking of Harvey Lembeck. Um, who played Harry Shapiro. But anyway, the guy Otto Kruger was not Otto <laughs> Otto was in both of them. And neither one of them was Otto Scorzini. Let's move on. What else was that fucker in, though? Otto Kruger. I know I've seen him before in a lot of stuff. Dr. Kildare, TV show, but he wasn't Dr. Kildare, I don't think. Um, it's not unusual to see me cry. Will I want to die? Grandnephew of South African pioneer and former president Paul Kruger. Otto Kruger trained for a musical career, but after enrolling in Columbia University, switched a career of choice in acting. He became famous and everything was fine after until he met Blondie from Starlog 17, which he wasn't in. Um, moving forward to another movie. I started watching Star Trek Continues, which is a uh, a uh, made, for, I guess, for the internet uh, series. Started in 2013, and I think ran... Th I, th I thought it was still going on. This says uh, ended from 2013 to 2017. But I think there are new episodes up on the internet, I believe. This is actually pretty good. I, I, I really enjoy it. They are playing the characters from... Uh, Star Trek, the original series, you have, you know, Kirk, Ohura, Scotty, Chekhov, um, Sulu, Spock. And um, but, you know, of course, it's modern day actors and probably nobody anybody's heard of. And everything. But I think they do a really good job. I it's it's not played for laughs or anything like that. And it they give it totally, totally, totally the feel of the original series, uh, the storylines. The, the sets, the way that the ship looks, the way the costumes are and everything. Uh, and I think they do a really good job. Now, of course, when you're watching it, you, you, you know, there's times where I'll be watching it and I'll be like, um, oh, this guy doesn't look like DeForest Kelly at all. But, you know, you put that to the side and just, you know, go, go with the flow. And it, it's really, it's good. I really enjoy it. The guy that plays Scotty is Christopher Duhan. And when I was watching, I was like, man, this guy's got a really fuck. He can really do Scotty's accent. But I was wondering if that is, okay, he, he's James Duhan's son. Son of actor James Duhan and Janet Young. 
twin brother of actor Montgomery Doohan. What was Montgomery Doohan? So this is actually Scotty's son playing on, on in this uh, show. Um, Scotty's son was in Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979, and that's it, from what I can see, from Toronto, Canada. I wonder if he knows Will. <laughs> hey, Will, do you know Scotty's son? Stepson of Wendy Doohan. Breaking Bonaducci. Okay, Chris is the lead singer of the L.A.-based band, The Mudflaps. His band was in both seasons of Breaking Bonaducci. Huh, that's kind of cool. I don't know anything about The Mudflaps, but maybe I'll look them up. Uh, but like I said, this is cool. Uh, the first episode, um, they... Um, uh, I remember on the original series, they had one where they, they uh, like beam aboard this guy, and he's like a... a um, Apollo, the god Apollo, and um, they actually go back on the first episode of this, and um, they go back to the planet that they put Apollo and his, I can't remember who the um, the uh, female god, uh, or who, who the other woman was, the woman was that they put on, put on the planet with Apollo, but they end up a, a creature or like a, a big uh, monolith in space uh, is in the path of the Enterprise. And, um, okay, Michael Forrest. I was wanting to see if he was the guy that played Apollo in the, um, in the original series. I think it is. Okay, so they got the... Okay, so in this movie, there's this big, like, uh, behemoth in the middle of space. And... It's like, I think it was like attacking or was going to attack the Enterprise and they thought, okay, it's going to, it'll destroy the Enterprise. So Kirk orders like, because it, it starts draining all the power out of the Enterprise and Kirk, uh, the new Kirk, the guy on the, on the uh, Star Trek continues, orders them. The only thing that'll work uh, that they have left that'll work that would be a weapon is one fo photon torpedo. So Kirk has them shoot this photon torpedo. And of course, I think it destroys the the um, monolith or whatever it is. I say behemoth or monolith or whatever. Just a big thing. And um, when he does it, they, they said that they were, it showed that there were two life forms aboard this thing. And they you know, were like, oh, shit, you know, we might have killed these people. And we don't even know if they were captives or what was going on. Well, then something beams aboard their ship. And it's two hum humanoid-looking people. And it ends up, it's this Apollo, and um, I don't know if it's Andromeda, or I can't remember what, who it was. I think it was a female god that was with Apollo. And uh, they beam aboard. Well, of course, because this show is modern, um, Apollo... <coughs> Excuse me. Let me get a drink. Apollo is um, looks really old. I mean, like a like a... And that's a that's kind of a cool thing because they have Michael Forrest, who played Apollo on the original series, um, play this part. And of course, it's it's uh, it's like two years since the what the events of the original series. And I just got water on my mouse, um, but he looks like he does now, or in like 2013, what he would look like a senior citizen. And th that's what they're trying to figure out. They're not saying, okay, this takes place. In 2013, the original series was in like the early 60s or whatever. So how does, um, you know, this is what, 
it's only two years from the events of the original series with um, Leonard Nimoy and William Shatner. But when they see Apollo, um, he looks like a, you know, 80 year old man. And they, the actual storyline goes on to tell, you know, what happened to him in two years and why he looks the way he looks. And it's done really well. It's, it's a really good story. It's not stupid. They don't, they handle it well. Uh, it makes sense and everything. And I thought it was really good. So I want to watch more of those. I, I want to eventually watch all of them. Um, they're about like 45 minutes long per episode. Um, but I think that, you know, and again, I, when I was watching it, I was like, you know, like the uh, guy that plays Kirk, who is Vic Mignor, Mignorin, Mignonin, Noah, Nona, <laughs> Vic Mignona. Uh, he doesn't like do a William Shatner impersonation and neither, you know, Spock does to an extent talk like that, uh, like Leonard Nimoy, but not like a, an impression, but fucking Christopher Doohan. Uh, I didn't know that that was James Doohan's son. I was like, Jesus Christ, he sounds just like Scotty. And it, it makes sense because of it. Uh, I started watching like just the first few minutes of the, um, second episode i had to turn it off but it did have the sexy green um alien slave chick that was in the original series at the very beginning and that was also in the star trek movie with uh christopher pine as kirk but this is good i mean like i said if you like the original series i don't know you know some people might watch this and be like oh this sucks you know they they don't look like them but it's good the stories are good and from what i can tell so far and i and i like the um the costumes and everything they don't make the stuff look modern they make it look like 1960s um star trek the original series i don't know if those are on dvd well i was gonna say dvd well who the fuck would want to buy them anyway um, but you can watch them for free on, I think YouTube. So, um, so if you're a sci-fi fan, a lot of you guys probably, have, if you're a big sci-fi fan and a Star Trek fan, you probably know all about them already. So I'm probably not telling you anything new. I watched, um, a movie from 1991, uh, called Past Midnight. And this stars Rutger Hauer, Natasha Richardson, and Clancy Brown. And um, it was directed by uh, Jan Elisberg, or it might be Jan, or it could be Jan, could be a guy, like Jan and Dean. Uh, and it was written by Frank Norwood. Um, the reason that I watched this was because of Rutger Hauer, more than anything. It looks like a kind of, it looked like kind of a thriller, maybe a cross between a thriller and a horror movie or something like that. Um it was okay, but I didn't think it was that good. <laughs> it was. It's worth a one-time watch, um, but I just didn't like the story. I thought it was kind of stupid. Some of the things that they did and everything. Um, I, I I found myself thinking, "Oh, this is stupid." How Natasha Richardson's character is acting, but then I have to. But then it. I I start thinking. Well, okay. The story is that Rutger Hauer's character was put in prison for murdering his wife. And um, he, it was a famous case and everything uh, all over the you know, news and, every, and all this and that. 
Well, then somehow after 15 years, he gets out of prison. And they actually have like videotape of him coming out of the house with a big butcher knife in his hand with blood and everything. And he's drunk. Um, but somehow he ends up getting out of prison. I don't know if it was good behavior or what. I can't remember. But um, Natasha Richardson's character is like a social worker. And when he gets out of prison, she is the the person that's going to try and help him out, help him find a job, find like a halfway house for him to stay at and everything. And he goes and reports to her. Not not necessarily, a par- he has a parole officer too, but, you know, she's the social worker. And, you know, Rutger Hauer's a good-looking guy and everything, and she is in a relationship with Clancy Brown, a.k.a. the Kurgan from Highlander. And also from, he was the big, mean prison guard in Green Mile. Wasn't that, was it, not Green Mile, Shawshank Redemption. And he was also in... Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis. He's in a lot of stuff, but that's what the ones I'm thinking of. Um, it's funny because when I was watching this, he plays a nice, he's a nice guy, plays a nice guy. And um, like uh, Natasha Richardson's love interest and everything. But it, it immediately took me to Blue Steel where he also played a nice guy, Jamie Lee Curtis's boyfriend, and they fuck in it and everything. <laughs> but it's it's weird for me to see Clancy Brown playing a good guy. Cause he always either plays like a big tough guy, like in uh, the Nick Nolte uh, where Nick Nolte's the U S or the Texas Ranger, U S Marshal or whatever. And powers booth is his drug ex friend. who was a drug dealer in Mexico and they have to go to he Nick Nolte has like a magnificent seven group that goes down there. Well, Clancy Brown was one of those guys, but Clancy Brown's a big dude. Um, he, you know, he has that voice, you know, uh, uh, kind of a deep, gravelly voice. And he usually plays either a big, mean dude or, you know, a tough guy or something like that, or definitely a bad guy. Uh, but it's funny watching him, for me, it just feels weird, like weird casting, watching Clancy Brown play just a nice guy uh, who, even playing like somebody who has a love interest, you know, and I always wondered like if women found Clancy Brown to be like hot because he's kind of, especially when he played Kurgan, you know, but I mean, maybe some, some women probably liked him when he played Kurgan with the, it would be, he would be almost like a, a death metal kind of a guy. Um, but anyway, um, of course, Natasha Richardson's character as soon as she sees Rutger Howe, I mean, she's seen him on TV and stuff because it was a famous case. It would be kind of like Dr. Richard Kimball, uh, who was, um, oh, what's his name? He ended up being a wrestler, too. Uh, the Fugitive. Oh, um, from The Fugitive, he, he uh, Dr. Sam Shepard. Okay, well, Sam Shepard, of course, you know, they accused him of killing his wife and everything. And it was the same thing with that uh, Green Beret dude that was that killed his wife that was played by the dude that was in office space that was like yeah i'm gonna need you to uh yeah come in friday and uh, yeah i'm gonna need you to come and start gary something uh green beret kills wife uh that was jeffrey mcdonald and um who played him gary 
it was the book was called God damn it. Now I'm gonna have to look that up. Because I had the book and I read it. It's really good. God damn it. Now my nose has there's a hair in my nose that is hang on a second. I almost got it. Yes, I got it. I vanquished that. Jeffrey McDonald. Jeff McDonald. Old McDonald had a farm. E-I-E-I-O. A qui- wasn't it called like a quiet something? What's that fucking book called, bitch? Because <laughs> I remember the, the it was a TV movie. And oh, I still got that. Hair. Maybe it's off my mustache. Something's either curling up into my nose or coming out of my nose. Um, at the end of the goddamn movie, they talked about that. They said the name of the book, Fatal Vision. Okay, um, it's a good book. It's a good movie, and uh, Jeffrey McDonald might have had a hair in his nose that needed to be pulled. This is totally unprofessional, but it's bugging the shit out of me. He was a narcissistic psychopath, Joel McGinnis. And then I think they had a book that came out. Um, it's been probably maybe 10, 20 years now, but uh, where, because he was on 60 Minutes or 2020 or something, McDonald from prison, and they talked about they, all these the stuff that came up that he got screwed in the trial and that like the prosecutors and stuff didn't put this evidence into uh, uh, the court thing and blah, 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 blah. And was it Gary Cole? Yeah, Gary Cole. Okay. Um, but that, and they to- they almost presented it like, you know, that he actually wasn't guilty all this time. You know, he wasn't guilty and he was trying to get out, but he never did. I don't think. Is he dead? Uh, no, he's 77 years old and... He did get out, I think that was before he went to prison the first time. He was out like on bail or he um, he was either out on bail or it was just when they were investigating him, and but he was like under suspicion. Because I know he was out there for a while, and uh, then he went to prison. First degree murder... Second degree murder, two counts uh, in life in prison. And yeah, I don't think he ever, I don't think he ever got out. He was a smug motherfucker, but you know, whether he's a smug motherfucker or not didn't mean he did it, but uh, everything, you know, he, he got the, uh, got life in prison. 21 in prison, doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried. Mama tried. Mama tried to raise me better. But her pleading I denied. That leaves on me to blame, because Mama tried. Rutger Hauer, Natasha Richardson. But what I was going to say was, Natasha Richardson, uh, she sees Rutger Hauer, and she's like, ooh, you know, he's even more handsome in fucking real life than he is on, you know, than I imagine. Well, then, of course, she falls for him. He's got a certain amount of charisma. And um, I think, what I was thinking in this movie, I was like, God damn it, you know, how dumb. He might have fucking took this big butcher knife and killed his fucking wife and went to prison for it and everything, but your dumb ass is just because he's Rutger Howard and has that fucking long, or has that fucking blonde hair and those eyes and shit, you're getting all wet and 
fucking uh, excited, so you don't give a shit. But then I have to remember, number one, look at these fuckers that fell in love with Richard Ramirez and Tex Watson and fucking uh, Jeffrey McDonald. He had women that, you know, he was fucking this this, uh, chick um, after his wife got killed and he was still out. He was banging some chick and they didn't give a shit, you know, fucking care. Um, so Natasha Richardson might have been, um, actually, it might not have been that stupid, but it just wasn't that great. Now, she was, isn't she, was she the one that was Liam Neeson's wife that uh, got killed uh, with the skiing? Natasha Richardson? <laughs> okay. In uh, 2009, Natasha died in New York City Hospital after falling and receiving a head injury while skiing in Mont-Treblanc, Quebec, Canada. She was married to Liam Neeson from 1994 until her death, which is sad. And you know, then when I watched Liam Neeson and the, like the, the Ice Road and uh, the Good Thief or whatever that movie was called, you know, I always think about you know him losing, you know, them being in love and being married and him losing his wife and everything. And, you know, he's continuing on making these movies and stuff, so, which I'm sure his life has carried on, you know, but still, you always, it's, it's such a sad thing that happened. And she was the, um, oh, daughter of producer Tony Richardson and actress Vanessa Redgrave. And she was, she is, or was, I'm sorry, the sister of Jolie Richardson, who was on Nip Tuck, the TV show, and she was in some other some movies too. Uh, niece of Lynn Redgrave and blah blah. Uh, Patriot Nip Tuck. I remember her from Nip Tuck. Event Horizon. Um, there was something recently. Maybe it was Blacklist. I watched some of that. Uh, Color out of Color out of space. Okay, that was the um, the one that was like uh, was that Nick Cage? That fucked up movie that's like Lovecraft. Yeah, Nicolas Cage. I watched that not that long ago. That was pretty good. If you like Lovecraft, kind of weird-ass shit. Um, but anyway, Natasha Richardson. Um, she was she was good in this. I just thought her character was stupid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, Rutger Hauer is better looking than Clancy Brown, I guess. I'm not a woman. Uh, but I, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Is Rutger Hauer better looking than Clancy Brown? Um. It's all right. It's not. It's it's almost like a lifetime movie. It's what it's felt like, you know, one of those lifetime thriller kind of movies, which some of them are bad. I watched stock. Speaking of lifetime movies, <laughs> what a coincidence! I watched from two thousand eighteen, stalked by my doctor, uh, Patient's Revenge, written and directed by Doug Campbell. Uh, stars, of course, Eric Roberts, the sleazy weirdo fucking doctor from the original Stalked by My Doctor. Uh, Anna Marie uh, Dobbins and Brianna Joy Chomer. Chomer. Um, there was another dude in this that was kind of like a famous dude. Uh, I thought he played the father of the original chick. Or maybe it was the mother. One of them was somebody that I knew, but I don't see the names on here. It must be just somebody that I recognize, but I don't see their name of anybody that's like famous. Uh, Deborah Zoe 
or Deborah Zoe, John Brid- Bridell. These people, with the exception of Eric Roberts, are like soap opera actors, I think, or like that that caliber or whatever. Um, <sighs> Eric Roberts is Dr. Albert Beck. Now, Dr. Albert Beck in the first movie is like one of the best heart doctors in the fucking world. But I mean, he's in the United, but it's definitely one of the best in the United States. One of the best, you know, uh, in the world as far as, you know, doing, being able to save people and everything. Um, but he's kind of a lonely dude. He's really smart and everything. And he's not a bad guy, but he's, he's just got some, he's definitely flawed, especially in the first one. Uh, it's more, um, I guess, mental illness to a point that he, but, but it's more like he just becomes obsessed and they show um, why he, how, how his personality is and why he's like desperate. You know, Eric Roberts is not a bad looking guy. You know, when he's younger, he's definitely a good looking guy. And in this, you know, he's, he's definitely a lot older, but um, he doesn't have a girlfriend and he does, he's not married. Um, and he, he desperately wants to find someone and get married. And he's got, he's a a renowned doctor. He's got all kinds of money, a really nice house, nice cars and everything. And he dresses well. Like I said, he's a good looking guy for an older guy, but he's, he's like a, you know, probably a senior citizen and stuff. But, um, when he goes out on dates, he's he's meeting girls from like Match.com and stuff like that, and goes meets them on blind dates from dating websites, and they you know they're like oh my god I hit the jackpot you know uh, this doctor is you know he's good looking he's um you know he's got money and everything but then as he as the date goes along he starts telling them you know I, I want to get married and they're like you know well yeah if if it works out and he goes but and 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 then he goes like you know. And if we get married, you know, I have a beautiful house in, in uh, you know, the, the Bahamas and uh, we'll go down there. We'll have the wedding and I want to have at least four kids and all that. And they're like, wait a minute. You just said just we just met, number one. And a second ago, you said, you know, ideally you would like to meet someone and get married. But now you're already saying you want it to be me and you've got it all planned out and everything. And he, and it starts seeming like really desperate and really weird. And then he starts trying to back off and he's like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to, you know, so he definitely has this uh, desperation thing. And, uh, um, but he, and this is in the original movie. He, uh, this young girl and her boyfriend get in a car wreck. And she is brought into the emergency room and everything. And so he has to save her. And then his his kind of creepy weirdness stuff when he's alone with her, because she's a she's only like maybe like 18, 19 years old, you know. And um she's laying on in the uh emergency room and stuff like that, and there's nobody else in there but him and her and I think this is maybe, I can't remember if it's after or before he saves her. But he's like, you know, he's like touching her face and stuff and, you know, about how beautiful she is and everything. So then um, after he saves her and stuff, he starts, you know, of course she comes to see him because, you know, for checkup and make sure he's o- she's okay and everything. And then he starts making a point of bumping into her, knowing where she's going to be, um, um 
just finding ways to run into her and talk to her and everything. And then it just goes from there. And it's hence stalked by my doctor. So uh, in that movie, he kidnaps uh, the girl and uh, it, by the end of the movie. And then he eventually, um, um, it all comes down to the, the, you know, how she gets away and everything. And it all resolves at the end of that movie. But then at the beginning of this movie, it takes up where the, the, first one ends and he has he's become a professor at a college and um things have moved on because i guess they didn't have enough evidence and all this and that and um but the girl that he had kidnapped and stuff that he was obsessed with she wants to get revenge so that's why it's called Stalked by My Doctor, Patient's Revenge. And he, you know, is telling everybody, he acts just completely normal and everything. And, of course, when he goes to the college where he's working, he, you know, they're like, aren't you so-and-so, the doctor that was supposedly obsessed with that girl and tried to, you know, that kidnapped her and everything. And he's like, it was a total misunderstanding. She was infatuated with me. She was the one that was stalking me. She made up all this shit and everything. But he says it in such a nice way, and 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 because they get to know him, they start, you know, well, yeah, he's he's not uh, fucked up. But maybe it was one of those he said, she said things, and she liked him, and all this and that. But in this one, he becomes more unhinged, and in this one, like he's like I was saying about the other movie about the guy that he starts seeing the Panzeram, you know, character or whatever. Well, in this one, uh, Doctor Albert Beck starts he becomes delusional as far as hearing voices telling him what to do and, and stuff like that. So it definitely, it's, these are fun. They're definitely fun. They're sleazy and they're stupid, but they're fun. It's like, like I said, it's like a soap opera kind of stuff, but still, even though I say that it's still better than, uh, was that fucking gray? fucking 50 shades of gray and those three fucking movies that were horrible. Um, I watched more of check the time here. I watched more of Doro Hidoro, which is the, um, uh, animated series on, uh, Netflix in a sad town. A clan of sorcerers use its people to experiment with the dark arts. And one of those people is, um, Cayman who doesn't know who he is, but knows now that he has the head of a fucking like lizard. And it's pretty fucking funny. This show is, or this uh, animated series is good because it's got really fucking weird, strange characters. Uh, I like the story uh, and everything and, but it's got funny stuff in it too. Um, And in this episode, um, Cayman's friend, the girl that that hangs out with him, I think that's uh, uh, is that is that Noi? There's so many different ones in here, you know. I'm just looking at the names. I'm trying to uh, fuck Cayman. I remember because you know, like a name of a lizard or whatever. Uh, or no, that's a is that a fish snake? No, that's like a like an alligator. So maybe that's why they call him Cayman. Um, I think is what it is. But all these sorcerers wear these like weird masks and it's like they they are part of almost like a criminal syndicate but also like a secret order 
when they meet, they all they'll they'll uh, not have their masks on and stuff, and they're talking, and they're all very unique characters, and they all have weird, strange masks that they wear. Um, and Cayman is a goofball. He has a lizard head. And I think I said in one of the other episodes, one of the things that he does, him and this girl that he's like friends with, uh, she cooks for him and everything. She's almost like Kana or Oscar um, uh, from uh, WWF, but Kana on YouTube where she cooks and everything. And she makes Cayman all this food. And he's like a big chow hound. And uh, he loves these dumplings, cheese dumplings and dumplings that she makes for him and everything. And um, But um, their thing is they go and uh, they want to kill these sorcerers. And the sorcerers are trying to figure out who the fuck Cayman is. And Cayman is trying to figure out who the fuck he is himself. He has this man inside of him. And when he finds a sorcerer or he's fighting somebody... He'll go to, like, eat their head, and he'll get their whole head in his mouth. And then when he does that, of course, he's going to bite their fucking head off. But before he bites their head off, this little man comes up from the back of his throat and says something to the person in his mouth. Well, then he'll pull him out, and he'll say, what did he say? What did he say? Because he's trying to figure out who the fuck he is. He's trying to figure out who he himself is. He doesn't know if the man inside of him is him. Or if it's somebody else, so he's like, you know, is the man inside me, is that me trying to get out or what? And, you know, he's always asking these guys, the people that he's going to chomp their head, who the fuck, what the guy say to? So anyway, it's if that sounds weird and fucking kind of funny and shit, that's what it is. It's good. It's, it's worth a watch. Each episode is maybe only like a half an hour long, so I should motor through them faster, but I'm, I'm liking it so much that I'm savoring it. Uh, it's called Doro Hadoro. Uh, from its 2020 series on Netflix. Uh, it's got it's it's just fucking awesome. I love it. I said I wasn't going to watch any more series, but I'm going to keep watching that one. And there's a couple more animated ones that I found that I really like too. Of course, a backy. I watch backy. And uh, there's a few other ones I want to try. But since they're only like a half an hour an episode, it doesn't take up too much of my movie watching time just to watch one episode or. Maybe a couple a day. Taking another drink. Go, 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 go. I watched um, from 2016, uh, Army of One with Nicolas Cage and Russell Brand. And this is um, directed by Larry Charles and written by Ra- uh, Rajiv Joseph and Scott Rothman. After a personal uh, visit by God himself, who is portrayed by Russell Brand, the eccentric construction worker, uh, Gary Faulkner, uh, t- makes the decision to embark on an adventure into the badlands of Pakistan to bring in Al-Qaeda's leader, Osama bin Laden. Um, and this is based on a true story. And uh, this affords Nicolas Cage uh, the ability to go fucking nuts and act like a, you know, just act crazy and it's almost like Peggy Sue got married, where you know he's like, "Hey Peggy Sue, I love you." And so he 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 takes on a voice like this the entire movie. You know, he's like, "I'm going over there and I'm going to find Osama bin Laden." You know, and he talks like that through the whole fucking movie. But it's so stupid that it's funny. It could have been even more 
batshit stupid and funny. Uh, it's worth a watch just watching him make a stupid ass out of himself. <laughs> but it's not like, okay, like, it's it's played for laughs. So I was going to say it's not like Mandy, but, I mean, that's more of a badass, you know, crazy ass fucking spiritual weird fucking movie uh or or what was that movie joe was it joe where he played the guy and he had the the little kid that he was helping out and he had that mean ass dog and shit uh cage can you know but there's times where i think that he just thinks you know what i don't give a fuck i'm just gonna play this i'm I'm gonna do this entire movie in this stupid voice and i'm not gonna deter from it and you know so you just have to go along with it and appreciate the fact that he's insane. Uh, Wendy McLendon Covey uh, plays Marcy. That's the girl that he, uh, his love interest. And Will Sasso is in this, who was on Mad TV. Um, Dennis O'Hare, he was in Michael, not Michael Collins, Michael, uh, what was the movie with George Clooney, which was a good movie. Uh, Michael Clayton. Uh, but he's a good actor. Uh, he's also in Dallas Buyers Club, uh, The Proposal with uh, Sandra Bullock. And who's the dude in that? Didn't see that. Ryan. I was going to say Ryan Reynolds, and God damn it, that's who it is. Fucker. Never was a big Sandra Bullock fan. She's like kind of like tomboyish, but I never even... She's not ugly or anything, and she's probably like a nice girl that you would maybe want to like get together with and marry and stuff. But she, I don't find her to be, like, super hot. And um, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with her. She just don't turn my crank. Amer- who's he playing? Oh, American Gods. He plays uh, Tyre, who is, I think, the brother of Odin. And they hang out together and fall in love with the same chick. That was in the last season, the, the uh, third season of American Gods. I remember him now. But he's a good actor. I like him. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, Paul Shear, I think he if he plays Pickles, I think he is a comedian. With uh, isn't he the comedian with the like a bald head and a gap between his front teeth? He looks like he's going to play in uh, the new. Is that uh, Ms. Marvel? Yeah, with uh, Kamala Khan. Anyway, I'm running out of gas here. I don't know if I'm gonna run out of movies. But I'm getting tired of fucking talking about this shit. <laughs> But anyway, Army of One's okay. It's it's fun, I guess. It's just stupid. I watched Bone Tomahawk again. I'm glad I'm getting to the end of this and getting to the end of these movies because I just don't even fucking want to do this anymore. <laughs> I watched Bone Tomahawk, and to be honest with you, it's just as disturbing this time as it was the first time I fucking watched it. Uh, directed by S. Craig Zoller and... Uh, is that the dude that did the Mel Gibson movies that everybody hates and this guy is kind of a right-wing jerk-off? I don't know. Is it? Yeah, Dragged Across Concrete, uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, Hug Chicken Penny. I don't know that. He did Asylum Blackout. He wrote that. Let's see, what, he, what did he direct? I want to see what he directed. Uh, director, Dragged Across Concrete, Brawl in Cell Block 99, and Bone Tomahawk. So I've seen everything that he's done. He's only done three. And this dude, I believe, is somebody that a lot of people don't like. I don't know much about his political views or anything like that. To be honest with you, I don't. I just remember when um, 
dragged across concrete came out. A lot of people fucking hated it and because he's a dick and they said it was like a right wing, um, you know, kind of a fascist, fascistic right wing movie. Um, but anyway, I've liked all three of those movies. I liked uh, Dragged Across Concrete. A lot of people didn't like it, but I, I actually kind of liked that one. Uh, it's just being a mean ass cop movie. And uh, he's doing a uh, puppet master, the littlest Reich. I saw that. He wrote that. I, I actually saw that. That was funny. Got those little fucking puppets, and they come to life, and they like stab people and shit. And some of them are Nazis and shit. Uh, I wrote Dragged Across Concrete. What's this Asylum Blackout? I don't even know what that is. It was a movie, but somebody else directed it, which was uh, Alexandra Cortez. And this is a group of cooks at an asylum for the criminally insane get locked in with the inmates during a massive thunderstorm. Well, that might be good. I don't know. Can do shit. Oh, but uh, Bone Tomahawk is still good. Kurt Russell's really good in it. Uh, again, that's another one that um, I um, differed with some people. Some people don't didn't like Matthew Fox. I don't know him from anything else, so maybe that's why they don't like him. Uh, what else is he in? Oh, he was in, on Lost, which I only watched. I watched maybe a few episodes of that with some friends, but I never got into it. Uh, I did see Vantage Point with, uh, I think that is Dennis Quaid. I saw We Are Marshall, and I know that whole story, but I don't remember that much about that one. Um, it was okay, but I didn't get a big boner over it or anything. Uh, but this, oh, World War Z. He was in World War Z, and they showed him for like two seconds, and he was supposed to have a way bigger role in that, being the guy that um, kind of, I think he was, he is like a soldier, and he helps them escape with the helicopter. He's like a Navy SEAL or something like that, or Delta Force, and he helps Brad Pitt and his family escape from the top of that skyscraper building. But then his whole part kind of got cut because I think in the second movie, if they did another one, his part was supposed to be bigger because he was going to be this asshole Delta Force or Navy SEAL guy. And he, um, like, rapes uh, Brad Pitt's wife and keeps her, like, a prisoner or, like, a, you know, something like that. And Brad Pitt, I think, come, has to come and try and save her or something. But they got all got scrapped. So I don't know that much about the Matthew Fox. He was in Smoking Aces, which I, I kind of like that. It was kind of a fun, you know, just shoot em up movie. The second one sucked ass, so don't even watch that one. The first one was pretty good. Um, and that's about it. So, But anyway, I liked uh, Matthew Fox's character in Bone Tomahawk. I thought it was pretty good. I don't know who played the um, troglodytes in that. That'd be interesting to find out. Uh, and then, you know what? I never noticed, or maybe I forgot about it, uh, that when they showed the troglodyte, those women that were pregnant, the, they said the, the girl said that the women were pregnant uh, and blind and crippled, like they didn't have any arms and legs. They were pregnant and they were blind. And when they walked by them, they only showed them for a few seconds, but when they walked by them, the reason they were blind was the troglodytes had taken um, wooden uh, sticks or wooden stakes and drove them into their eye sockets. So, I mean, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe they didn't have a way to kill them or something. Maybe they, I think they still had some, had bullets. 
the survivors. But I would have put them out of their misery or something. I don't know. Just karate chop them in the throat or I don't know what. But they, I mean, my God, it was just, that was so disturbing. Ugh. Um, the Richard Jenkins who played uh, Ch- uh, Chicory was good. Um, and uh, yeah, Patrick Wilson, really, Patrick Wilson's always good. I think just about everything I've seen him in, he's good. Um, oh, and for Rolf, uh, Michael Pere is in Bone Tomahawk. So, uh, and the, I remember the first time I saw that, I didn't realize that that, that it was Michael Pere. Sean Young is also in that. And when I was watching it this time, uh, the, the guy and the woman come into the bar where they are gathering to say, hey, what are we going to do? We need to go and find out what's going on here. And I kept thinking, who the fuck is that woman? I, I could tell by her voice. And then I realized it was Sean Young. So, Oh, my God. Why am I doing this fucking show? <laughs> okay. The reason, let's see. We have time. I don't want to, okay, we've got 15 minutes. And just like the last one, the, the fucking movie that I really want to talk about is right at the end. I watched uh, 2021's The Suicide Squad. And just like the last episode the uh, with uh, Homicide, we're going to get right down to it. I spent $14.99 because they said, if you have HBO Max, you can watch the new Suicide Squad movie uh, on there the, when it comes out in theater the first day. So I thought, you know what, $14.99, I'm going to get it. And I, Loaf and I both saw Suicide Squad the original one, in, I think, Charlotte uh, when it first came out. And we both liked it. We both really thought it was good. We, I mean, we enjoyed it. Not that it was a goddamn Academy Award winner and everything, but I thought it was good. And um, everybody fucking hates it. So anyway, I was like, okay, well, I want to watch this because then I started reading Suicide Squad comic books, and I liked them. Because I like they had different characters and stuff like that. And they had like a, you know, a main group with Rick uh, uh, Flag and Harley Quinn was in there and everything. But sometimes, you know, they would they would mix it up and have different people. It wasn't just the ones that were in the first movie and all. And so it was kind of cool. You got to see new characters all the time and have them explain. And some of them weren't the like the biggest or the baddest or whatever. At one time, they had General Zod was in Suicide Squad. And that did not go well. Um let me get up here. Uh, I got to finish strong. <laughs> okay. I started watching this and it started out okay. I like Harley Quinn's outfit at the beginning of this. Um, now, the Harley Quinn movie, of course, they said, you know, in the first Suicide Squad, she's walking around in those little hot pants and the camera, they just kept showing her ass over and over and over. I didn't have a problem with that. I'll be honest with you. I liked it. I thought she looked great, and I fucking liked her ass, and I thought she looked hot. And that was good. And and I liked her in that movie. I thought she was good in that. The Harley Quinn movie, it was okay, but it was like the Harley Quinn comic. I just didn't like it as much. I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. She kind of... It was played more for laughs, and she kind of got on my nerves, and that's sort of how this one was. And um, But they have John Cena in this, Idris Elba. You still have uh, Joel Kinnaman, Kinnaman as Rick Flagg. 
Viola Davis, who I loved, loved in the first one as Amanda Waller. Uh, I did not know that TDK was Nathan Fillion from uh, Firefly. I did not know that until just right now. Pete Davidson, I don't like him. I don't even know anything about him. I've seen him on Saturday Night Live, which sucks, and so I don't give a fuck about him. Uh, Weasel, I liked Weasel for personal reasons because I have a coworker that we call the Weasel. Uh, Jai Courtney's in this, and I've seen like about five movies with Jai Courtney over the past two weeks. Michael Rooker was really good in this, and I wish that his character would have been in it longer. Cena was okay, but much like a lot of the other stuff in this, they try and go for laughs on in, in certain parts of this, and and some of the stuff just isn't funny. This could have been cut down big time. Uh, it is two hours and 12 minutes fucking long. It could have been an hour and a half. People talked about the first movie and said it felt like a music video and shit. Well, at least it wasn't two hours and 12 fucking minutes long. Um, they kept trying to, James Gunn kept doing this shit where they would fucking show something and then they'd be like, okay, eight minutes earlier. And they would go back, you know, eight minutes or 10 minutes or, you know, two hours or three days or something like that. And it's like, God damn it. And then showing some of the, um, like, origin stories of some of the people. And I'm like, you didn't need, you know, God damn it, just go. Get going. Fucking, you know. And it did have a lot of action in it, a lot of gore, a lot of gory violence and stuff like that. Uh, uh, And a lot of that was played for laughs. Like, you know, even the fucking King Shark and shit like that, ripping the guy in two or biting people's heads like, uh, Cayman and fucking Dora or Dora or whatever the fuck that thing's called. <coughs> but I gotta be honest with you, I thought this was just okay. And I watched it with like two other friends, and we all were kind of like, eh, that was it. it was like one of those ones that you wanted to just love it, and it had a lot of stuff in it that you were like, you know, okay, I wish, you know, but. The the sum of the good stuff was not uh, the 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 bad shit and just it was just off. I don't think, like I said, a lot of the the comedy stuff just did not work that well. Harley Quinn kind of got on my nerves. Uh, I did like her and the um, uh, South American uh, dude because it showed kind of how she was like inside and in her brain, how she really is. But I don't know, man, Cena, some of the stuff he did, some of the one-liners and stuff they gave him that, you know, you think all this would be hilarious. It's just kind of, he looks like a fucking stretch Armstrong character, like a come to life, his arms and wrists and his, you know, his fucking walks with his butt stuck out like he's got a dildo up his ass and he's pigeon-toed, his thighs and shit are too fucking big and he's got that big fucking monstrosity cinder block head. The guy is so fucking jacked and everything, but I don't know, man. And then they said, well, they're going to give his character Peacemaker is going to have like a spin-off series. I'm not sure. And then the Rat, uh, rat Catcher 2 girl, fucking fucking... You know, she didn't do anything for me at all. I, that, I didn't even like that character at all. I liked the Pokey Dot guy. The Pokey Dot. That was, that's the name of a restaurant. Owner, the Polka Dot guy. I liked him probably the best of everybody. I liked him and I liked Rick Flagg. 
Uh, Idris Elba was okay, but then he tried to do some funny stuff, and then just like, eh. and and Amanda Waller's character in this, they kind of fucked that up. I mean, my God, in the first one, she killed. She just fucking cold bloodedly killed everybody that was working for her in one scene, just out of the blue, just so that they that she could, you know, just bam, 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 bam. And they were like, "What the fuck?" You know, she's. And then this girl fucking like. They, they like go off on her and stuff and and you know like give me a break she would have fucking dealt with all those motherfuckers it was just kind of i don't know uh pete davidson his lips are his skin is like gray and his lips are fucking i don't know what color they are they're like fucking weird and uh he's just a weird person um who else did i not like in this i liked rooker i liked polka dot guy Rick Flag, and I liked um, Harley Quinn's outfit at the beginning. Uh, the starfish thing, it was kind of funny. But even like my friends were like, okay, when that start when that came out, like the big kaiju, kaiju and everything. The my one friend goes, okay, now this is getting fucking goofy as shit. Which I guess it's supposed to be. It was too fucking long. And it wasn't good enough. The first one was much shorter. And it, like I said, it might have seemed like a fucking, I thought I liked the characters better in that one. Although, and another thing I wanted to talk about here is they fucking paid Sylvester Stallone. Who knows how much money they paid him to voice the fucking King Shark. Um, And it's like, why do they do that? It's like getting Bradley Cooper to play Rocket Raccoon. They could get anybody. They could get fucking me or... Sammy or fucking uh, Rolf or fucking Stohan or who they could get anybody to fucking voice it. And I'm sure they're paying these guys like millions of dollars to voice Rocket Raccoon and fucking King Shark or whatever. And it doesn't matter. I mean, when I first watched this, I didn't even know Sylvester Stallone was in it. And then the second time I watched it, I was like, who the fuck does Sylvester Stallone play in this? And then when they start, the shark started talking, my friend goes, that's Stallone. And then it was obvious, but it's like, he doesn't even fucking, he's like, uh, uh, nom, 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 nom. See, I can do that. Nom, 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 nom. You know, give me a break. See, I can do that. I do it for half of what they paid Stallone. Anyway, and Cena, just, I don't know. I liked the character. I liked the fact that he, you know, was just like a fucking uh, zealot. Uh, it's almost kind of like a Judge Dredd kind of uh, type guy. But um, I don't know, man. I'm, I I want to say this is, if I, out of uh, uh, one through, one out of ten, I've watched this twice and I... S- I don't even think it's a five for me. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know. You know, I just, and the end was almost like the fucking same as the end of the first one. You know, Harley fucking, you know, and the fucking starfish and then the other one, the other thing. But, um, I like the Japanese girl in the first one, the samurai chick. Uh, I did not like killer croc in the first one. I just, it wasn't that I didn't like the character. I wish that the the character would have looked better. It would have been more like the I like the look of the King Shark in this one. The you know, but I did not like the look of Killer Croc in the first one. Uh, 
but I liked Harley in the first one. I liked uh, Rick Flagg in the first one. Uh, I liked the uh, sorcerer chick in the first one. I thought she was hot. Uh, Amanda Waller was the best part about the first one, except for Harley Quinn's ass and how she looked and everything. And Harley Quinn was just better in the first one. She wasn't annoying. She was, you know, more badass, hot and badass, you know? I don't know. But still, she could be, you know, goofy and stuff, but not like this. <sighs> so I got that off my chest. I've been wanting to. I was just going to do a show about nothing but The Suicide Squad. And I've seen, and what's funny is I've seen so many people saying that they love this one. They love it. And I know, like I said, a lot of people fucking despise the first one. And I was like, I was like, man, Loaf and I really, we walked out of the theater like, man, that was good. You know, I don't know. Polka Dot Guy was good. He was, he was, I think Polka Dot Guy was the best part of this movie. Uh, And him and his mother. I thought that was probably the best part. And I, and you know, again, Amanda Waller, man, I've, I, I, it, she went from a 10 in the first one to like a fucking, I don't know, three or four. It's like where, where the movie went, Waller went, you know, or where Waller went, the movie went. I give this one probably like a four, the movie and how Amanda Waller was portrayed. And in the first one, I gave Amanda Waller a 10. I don't think I'd give that movie a 10, but I thought it was good. Michael Rooker should have been in it way more. He looked cool. He's cool. His character was cool. It would have been better. Pete Davidson deserved to die. That Javelin guy was pretty cool. Captain Boomerang, I'm kind of glad he died because I, Jai Courtney, I don't give a fuck about it. But I like Captain Boomerang's, the character in the comic book. But I don't know. I guess they decided he, you know, certain people in this movie are not going to come back. Um, that one chick that was in this, I don't know who she, at the beginning, she was like a feral, kind of an orangish chick. See, I didn't read DC. I remember them saying her name. And that, and like I said, that TDK, uh, Nathan Fillion. I mean, I guess maybe it's kind of a funny thing because it is the Suicide Squad, so people are going to die and get killed off. So it's kind of be a fun thing to to be in the movie. It'd be like if they had like Tony Curtis or or uh, Frank Sinatra or somebody like that, and, and he's only in it for like, uh, you know, uh, a few minutes, and he gets here, or like Steven Seagal in that fucking uh, shitty movie. with Well, it wasn't shitty. The movie with Kurt Russell uh, where they're on the airplane, the movie's pretty good, but Steven Seagal was such a dick they got rid of. Birds of Prey, again. <sighs> they made such a point of saying, okay, we're not going to have Harley be good, hot. You know, I don't know what that is. I mean, I guess it's like, a, I don't know. It's like people bitching about what's her name in the Star Trek movie, uh, Alice Eve. Oh, they didn't need to show her, blah, blah, blah. But they'll show Joel Kinnerman with no shirt on and washboard abs, or they'll show Chris Evans with no shirt on or fucking Thor with no shirt on or all these guys with no shirt. John Cena in this one with a pair of Speedos on, you know, so don't. Give me fucking shit about you know them showing Margot Robbie with it. and like I said her first outfit in this was was good and then they and I didn't even I didn't even mind after that her having that little like a uh, f- fluffy gown thing on it's not as much that it was more the character you know they just started making her annoying and again I liked her in the Suicide Squad comic book 
But then when they gave her her own comic book, I was like, oh, Harley Quinn comic book. I'm going to start reading it. And I, I got, I read like one or two issues and I was like, I'm not reading this shit. I mean, she's just fucking annoying and, and just not, and tra- just played kind of more stupid than just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, uh, that's it. Two hours. I finished strong. I think Did I finish strong. I go get some orange juice, uh, six twelve. So I guess I'll be walking the dog here shortly. It's probably so foggy out, it's not even funny, though. And I'm just sitting here babbling and talking like a moron. <laughs>